Hi, my name is Lindsay Adams, and you are listening to Mindful as a Mother. We all know that I'm a big advocate for spending 15 minutes of one-on-one time with your child daily. Now, obviously, that can get very tricky with busy schedules and life, or you can run out of ideas for things to do one-on-one with your kids. And this is where KiwiCo comes in. I've told you about our rainbow crate that we tried, and we seriously loved it. So if you're wanting to find an easy craft project or science project for your kids where everything is prepped and ready to go and cost-effective, go to the link in the show notes and get on your subscription for KiwiCo. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic relationship, and the information given in this podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the advice of a professional. Hey, hey, welcome back to Mindful as a Mother. This week's episode is rough and amazing all at the same time. So I just wanted to give a little bit of a trigger warning that cancer is discussed in this episode, as well as there's some language that, you know, it's just a couple F-bombs, but I, just listen to me, just a couple F-bombs, but I just wanted to warn you in case you're listening with kids or you're offended by foul language, and I think there's no better place to use the F-bomb than when talking about cancer. So, trigger warning, if you need to skip this episode, totally fine. I also think that this is one of the most important episodes to listen to because Victoria embodies everything that I would use to describe as mindful motherhood. She truly lives in the moment, takes each day as it comes, parents her kids with unconditional positive regard and love and allows them space to feel and be who they are. It is just the most amazing episode I was such a baby and probably cried throughout the whole interview. I'm glad the video is not out there. So I really hope you enjoy this episode and sorry about the F-bombs, but not sorry. Sorry, not sorry, like Demi Lovato. Hello, we are here with Victoria today. Say hi, Victoria. Hi, thank you for having me. Yes, no problem. Um, Do you just want to tell everyone who you are, how many kids you have, a little bit about you? Sure. So I am Victoria. Um, I am a single mom of three. We do have share time um, with our dad. So we do kind of a 50-50 split. Um, I have three children, Ava, who is 15, Libby, who is 11, and Asher, actually, she's almost 12. She'll be 12 um, June 9th, and then Asher, who is nine, Um, and they are all wonderful, beautiful, active kids, Um, and yeah, they're they're my joy and my my pride. I love them so much. Yes, and so I get... I'm trying to decide kind of where to start because you have such an interesting story. 
Um, do you, do you want to, we'll just start with like talking about uh, about a year ago, I saw the anniversary on Instagram. What, yeah. What happened? Yeah. So, yep. So a year ago, uh, May 29th, um, I was diagnosed with cancer, with breast cancer. Um, uh, when I first found out um, that I had cancer, uh, it was initially diagnosed as a stage two. So that was good. Um, and then a few weeks later, I got two more scans back that showed that unfortunately it had spread to my bones um, and I was classified as stage four. Um, and for anybody out there listening, um, if you know or don't know, stage four is considered a non-curable disease. Um, but um, it is, at least in my type of cancer that I have, it is very treatable. So um, although that diagnosis was very hard and scary, um, you know, I, I did approach it um, at least with a little bit of knowledge that it is, it is at least treatable. Um, so when I found that out, of course, it's devastating. Um, I remember when I got the phone call, I, that was literally the hardest day of my life. It was the scariest thing I think I've ever encountered ever. Um, I remember getting the phone call. I was on a walk trying to ease my anxiety because I knew I was gonna get the phone call. Um, that didn't work by the way, <laughs> um, uh, because I got the call while I was on the walk um, and I needed to get back to the house. Thank God my sister-in-law was with me that day. Um, and I remember, all I remember hearing is the words, it was positive for cancer. And I literally don't remember another word the doctor said. And I still had a good two minute walk back to the house, which I ran back to the house. Um, and I, all I remember is seeing my sister-in-law on the front porch and I literally threw my phone down on the table. The doctor is still talking. I don't know what she's saying, but I just threw the phone down on the table and I'm screaming in hysterics, hugging my sister-in-law. And of course, obviously at that point, she knew what was, um, what the results were. Um, and all I remember is screaming, and this will make me tear up. All I remember is just screaming to her, what about my babies? What about my babies? What am I going to do about my babies? I can't leave them. Like that is absolutely not an option in my situation and in their situation. I absolutely cannot leave my children. Yeah. Um, so that part was really hard. And, it, and um, so anyway, the days after that, you know, um, I had a wonderful support system with my brother and sister-in-law. Um, I, we were living, we are still living with them at the time. Um, and I was able to, you know, talk through the diagnosis of, uh, and, and kind of map out like, okay, you know, how do I approach this with my children and, and how do I, uh, talk to them about this? Um, so that, that was the diagnosis day. Um, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was a hard, hard day. Um, I remember feeling very paralyzed and just like not even, I, I was hard to walk. Like, you know, when you get that kind of thing and that kind of information and I knew it wasn't good because I knew I had two tumors in my breast and I knew that it had spread to my lymph nodes. And when you get that kind of information, you know, right off the bat that you're in for a long 
journey. You know, you're in for a long journey. Did you prepare your kids for that or were you waiting to see? Yeah. So how we, how I ended up approaching it was, um, I wasn't really aware how much my children knew about cancer and what that, what that meant to them in their world. Um, we hadn't really experienced that in our family ever. Um, and I mean, I've been blessed. My, both my parents are still with us. My grandmother is still with us. All of my brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles, like, you know, we haven't ever experienced this kind of uh, illness in our family. So I didn't know what their perception of it was. Um, all I knew is that usually when you hear the word cancer, it, it equals scary, right? Mm -hmm. And so before I told them, they were actually um, the second to the last people I told um, because I wanted to wait until one, I had seen my oncologist, um, two, I had all of the information possible um, so that when I did deliver the news to them, I would be able to answer any and all questions that they might have for me. Um, and um, I remember <laughs> I had met with their father uh, the day before, actually the day of um, telling them, uh, asking if he wanted to be present during, you know, the, the time that I told them and, you know, naturally he said no. Um, but, um, but I wanted to make sure that, you know, he was, everybody was aware before the kids, you know, found out for, before I told them anyway. So I was a nervous wreck. Like it was, um, I felt so horrible having to deliver the worst news possible to my children. How as a mother, am I supposed to give my kids the worst news that they will likely ever receive in their life. I was, I was absolutely horrified with that task. Yeah. And so much fear on your own part and so many emotions that you have, and then having to sit and communicate and hold space for them as well. Yes. I was far more worried about what their reaction was going to be than, than, my own emotions I can I can only I mean you know when you're a kid right like this was the only thing I could think of like the worst thing in the world was losing a parent that was hands down the scariest thing you could ever dream of as a child right to, especially your mother like oh my goodness and here I was having to sit my kids down and tell them that I'm sick so um and not just sick, but stage four sick. Right, stage four sick, yeah. So <clears throat> I had all the information. Um, and so when I sat them down um, and I, my brother and sister-in-law were here with me, thank God for support in case they had any questions. And as a side note, my sister-in-law uh, is a, is a nurse and she worked on the pediatric cancer floor for like 20 years. And so, so she had, she has a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of information and support. And just, it was so wonderful to have that backup um, there with me that day. So I sit my kids down and um, 
you know, I, I explained to them, I said, you know, mommy, unfortunately has, um, cancer and they all look at me like, what is she saying? Like they, it was like almost like a deer in headlights kind of moment. And my ex, my thought was like, oh my gosh, they're going to break down and it's going to be crying and all this. And no, it was like, what is, what is it she's saying to us? And I was like, oh, they don't understand. Like they have no idea what I'm saying. So my oldest daughter did, she was, um, had just turned 15, um, or no, excuse me. She had just turned 14. And, um, so she understood what that meant. Um, and I could immediately see her withdrawing from the situation, not showing any emotion, not showing anything, but she was literally like, like shoulders were turning in and she was totally withdrawing from the situation. I'm like, okay, I'm going to need to take her aside and have a moment after this with her. Um, the other two, um, Asher, the youngest had no idea what cancer meant. He was completely oblivious to it has no uh, experience with it whatsoever. So in one regard, I was like, okay, this is a blessing because I get the opportunity to share what that is and how we're gonna handle it together. Mm-hmm. Um, the middle, my middle daughter, uh, Libby, had an idea, but only in, in um, the sense that she had seen it on a, on a program that she had watched and a young girl had cancer and it was a very positive kind of experience from what she had seen on, on television. Um, so, you know, they just asked me, okay, so what does that mean? So I described to them, you know, um, where my cancer was in my body, um, what that looks like for treatment, um, what kind of things I'm going to be experiencing in the future. And I mostly described things to them that would directly affect them. So me going through chemotherapy and, you know, they're going to see me sick. They're going to see me lose my hair. Mm -hmm. They're going to see me, you know, not being my normal mama self, right? There's going to be times where I'm not going to be able to do the things that mom normally does. And so I kind of described that to them and I made it extremely clear to them that it wasn't the cancer that they were going to see me sick from that it was the medicine to help take care of the cancer that they were going to see me sick from and because i didn't want i didn't want them to get scared thinking that the cancer is making me sick and therefore i'm going to die you know um or that you know i'm shaving my hair because the cancer is making me sick the cancer isn't what's causing the problems right that you're going to actually witness right because Otherwise I would be totally fine. Like you would never know I had stage four cancer. I was like the healthiest person on earth, you know? And, um, and it was the, it was the medicine that was going to make me feel ill. Um, so they had a lot of questions just, you know, I think the biggest thing for them was obviously me losing my hair. That was, that was a big deal for, especially the two little ones, because that is so much of what we see in our identity this visual reminder that mom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was very honest with them about it being hard, you know, and that, um, 
I didn't worry them necessarily. Like, because I felt like I had had enough time before I told them. I mean, it, it was probably three weeks. I had to go on for three weeks <sighs> before I told them. So I am working through tremendous emotions and tremendous processing of all of this leading up to the day I have to tell them. Um, and, you know, thankfully I, you know, in getting knowledge about my diagnosis and, you know, where it was at, what were my treatment options, what exactly I was going to have to go through, you know, knowledge is power. I think the scariest part about cancer and any diagnosis is the not knowing, right? Mm -hmm. When you don't know what's going to happen, your mind just spins and, you come up with worst case scenario every single time, <laughs> yeah. you know, don't Google it. It's horrible. Like you're going to die tomorrow if you Google cancer. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so I had three weeks to process this information before I told them. So by the time I got to the space where I could tell them, I didn't feel worried any longer. Like I felt in control of the situation and I felt in control of my diagnosis. And I felt like we had a very good plan of, okay, this is, we're going to start here first and then this is going to happen. And then this is going to happen. And so I feel like, you know, I didn't, I was able to give them that news, although it was hard and scary and I did cry. And, um, but I told them that it was just hard for me to tell them something that's scary. Cause I don't want them to be worried. Right. You know? Um, and so I feel, I feel like they were just like, okay, they see me actively being calm. They see me actively expressing concern but not freaking out over it. Um, they see me being truthful and honest um, and not hiding anything from them, but also explaining it in a way to them that isn't um, beyond what their years can handle, you know? That's so important because when we talk about giving kids information like that, that, that is exactly how I would recommend doing it. So you did everything perfectly, um, modeling that you're in control. And if you can handle it, then they can handle it. Being honest at an age appropriate level, because you don't want to lie to them. And you also don't want to, to unnecessarily freak them out either. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so interestingly enough, of all of the people that I had to share that news with, and I will say that when you that telling people you have cancer is the hardest thing. That was that has been still to this day almost the hardest thing that I've, I I have ever had to do through this journey. Like it is devastating to have to break that news to people. It's, it's heartbreaking because you know you're delivering horrible news and. I'm not that person. Like I'm a total empath. Like I want to be there to help everybody and, you know, right. and like take on that stuff. And, and, and I'm like, Oh my God, I have to just go like my parents. I'm like, Oh my God, I have to tell my parents the most devastating ever. How do I do this? 
you know, how do I do this? Um, anyway, so of all of the people that I told, the kids had the most um, unreactionary action ever. Like, it, you know, and, and, and I was so grateful for it because I, you know, I was just like, I, I know I would have been able to handle a hard reaction, but, um, but I was so grateful that I did not have to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just really grateful. So after having, I sat all three of them down together. And then I do recall, you know, taking my older daughter to the side and pulling her aside and having a separate conversation with her because I knew she knew what this meant. Like she was like, oh, and, and like I'd said before, I literally had, she was physically re removing herself and withdrawing and just sinking into her chair um, as I'm telling her the news and I'm watching this happen and I have to keep on with my story, you know? Um, and so when I pulled her aside, I said, you know, are there any questions? Do you have anything more that you want, you know, to know from me that maybe, you know, Libby and Asher don't need to hear, you know? Um, you know, I'm always here. I will always continue to be here. Um, and I want to make sure that you know that, you know, this is a safe place for you. You can tell me whatever. Um, and, and she's like, no. And I knew that she just had, you know, she had a lot of processing to do. And um, cause that's a big thing. Um, and so at the time she had also uh, been seeing a therapist and I said, if you need me to, I can schedule you more point, you know, more frequent appointments with with your therapist um, to help you through this. If you feel like talking to me is, is you know, not the path you wanna take. Um, if you feel like, you know, you need more time to think about this and process it and come back to me, I said, but I would be more than happy to call your therapist today and schedule more appointments today. And she's like, yeah, I think I need that. And I said, done done. I will call. And I did, I called her like 10 minutes later. <laughs> um, and of course, then I had to tell her, you know, so it's like, <laughs> yeah, um, it, it, it's bizarre. It's like every, every time you turn around, you're like, oh yeah, that's another person I have to tell, you know? And, um, uh, it, you know, it was I, in telling people you're, it is interesting to, to see how people process information. I think that's been one of the most significant things I have encountered in this process is understanding and holding space for, I have to say, which has been the hardest part, how people choose to respond. How many um, solution finders have you had? Like people who their first reaction is, you should try this, you should, yeah, there's a lot of those. <laughs> they just want to fix it, I think. And yeah, oh, for sure. I mean, yeah. and you know, you, I mean, we all do. Um, um, I would say that it was actually a small percentage. So of all the people that I've told, I would say of the, the fix it people were, um, you know, maybe five to 10%. Okay. Um, a large, a large portion of the people were um, aloof. Interesting. Mm -hmm. They were non-reactive and aloof. 
And um, I even had my uh, one of my, my childhood best friends and it was Deb, I did not want to tell her. I, she was literally one of the hardest people to tell. Um, her mother had just been diagnosed with cancer and it was terminal. And um, she was older, so her mom had chosen to forego treatments. And so, you know, it was, we only had a short time with her. And I knew this information and I'm like, okay, I have to call and tell my best friend that this is also happening to me. Um, only a far better scenario in the sense that, you know, um, I am choosing treatment and I will be here for a long time. Um, so when I called her, um, you know, I went into especially that conversation with a very open heart and a very open mind because I did not want, I did not know how she would respond or react. I did not want to put any expectations on that conversation because of where she was at in life. Yeah. And so I, you know, was like, okay, let's call her. So I did. Um, and she's like, okay. Okay. She's like, all right, well, you know, thank you for calling me. She's like, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. I don't remember the whole conversation, but it was, it was uh, a very bland, we'll say, you know, reaction. Um, and we hung up and I was like, okay. So um, I don't know, the same day she called me back and she goes, I really want to apologize for that reaction. She said, I was in shock. I didn't know how to respond. Um, and I'm like, I totally get it. You know, I, 100%, it, you know, I had no expectations. I, you know, I, you were one of the hardest people to have to tell this news to because of your situation and how close to home this is for you. And, um, but it was interesting. I had two friends actually do that where they later contacted me later and apologized for their reaction. <laughs> Yeah, I think it was probably just so shocking that they didn't. It is. It, 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 it is. It's totally out of left field. No one would have ever expected it. Um, I never expected it, you know, but yet here we are. Um, so, so tell me what treatment was like and then kind of what parenting through that treatment was like for you. Yeah, so... Um, Treatment. So the, the so I went and got my first round of chemotherapy. Um, I still had my hair at that point um, uh, because my doctors had told me that I wouldn't lose my hair until after the second treatment. So I chose to not do anything to my hair um, until I absolutely had to. Um, so um, thankfully, we do. You know, we did have um, a. Uh, a split uh, custody um, shared time with their dad. So it was a blessing that my first round of chemotherapy, the children were not here. And by the time they were gonna come back, I, according to what the doctor said, you know, would be feeling better-ish. Um, and so, I mean, just by, it, it, we, we did kind of plan it around that. I have to say, so that's one of the things I did do was try as much as I possibly could to plan my treatment around that 
particular schedule. Once treatment starts, then you're on a thing. Like you can't, you can't veer from that. But I, I picked a start date that would over the long term, um, not allow the children to be around me during like really, really sick times. Um, so, so first round of treatment, um, I, my, my sister-in-law took me, came home. Um, it was not wonderful. It was bad. <laughs> um, I was very, very sick and uh, very, very afraid. Um, so I was really glad that I did, my, my children did not have to witness that because that would have been horrific. They would have seen the worst of the worst. My first treatment was by far the worst treatment. Um, so by the time they came back to me, it was probably five to seven days post-treatment. And, um, and then I was starting to feel normal. I was starting to feel like, oh, okay, you know, gosh, I feel almost like I did before I went in. Um, and so although I was super tired because you're depleted, you know, you're neutropenic, you don't have red blood cells, all those things. So, and I explained this to the children and I said, you know, when you come back to mom, um, I will, um, you know, not really be able to go outside and, and go to places and do things. I said, I have to be careful that I don't get sick, that I don't catch a cold, all those kinds of things. So we'd had these discussions going into and the global pandemic. I didn't even realize that. Yes. Yes. We're in a pandemic. So, <laughs> so had the fucking worst 2020 ever. Oh, it was a hor It was literally the worst year on earth. Like oh it was horrific. Perfect. So, so in, in, so here's the plus side though, we were in a pandemic. So everybody's already like wound up and cautious and wearing masks and washing hands and doing all those things. Um, you know, for me personally, I wasn't overly concerned about catching Corona only in the sense that my circle of people were, um, worked from home. Um, my sister-in-law still did work at the hospital, but in a different capacity, she didn't do patient care. So I wasn't worried about that. Um, everybody that I knew worked and lived in safe, clean environments. So even the children, they, they would go to their dad's house and they would just be at their dad's house. Like they weren't around a bunch of people. So I wasn't worried about it. And by this time, the children weren't at school. Everybody was distance learning. So, you know, um, and then school had ended by the time I started treatment. Yeah, we were in summertime. So yeah, we didn't have to worry about any of that. So I, so that part didn't worry me too much, but I did at least express to them that, you know, my ability to go out and do things, we're a very active family. They are kids, you know, my kids love to go out and do things and go places and be with people and hang out with friends and all that kind of stuff. So some of that did have to come to a halt, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, a part of our lifestyle was going to have to change for at least a little while. Um, so, um, so that first round treatment, not a big deal. So then it came time for me to shave my head. And um, I remember making it a big thing because, you know, my mom wanted to be there. Um, my best, my childhood friend wanted to be there. My children wanted to be there. And my son, who is like, 
I can't even tell you. He is one of the most empathetic, soulful, loving people you'd ever want to meet. Like he is well beyond his years and his emotional intelligence. Like he's, it's exceptional. Anyway, he said that he would shave his head for me. And so we go, we all go together. Um, my hairstylist who I've had for, used for the last 20 years, you know, she got to do the honors. Um, my daughter videoed it for me. Um, it's actually on my Instagram page. Um, and, um, and that was what, I mean, you know, aside from telling people like the second hardest thing I ever had to do. And I just remember sobbing and crying in the chair while she's shaving my head. But then when it was over, I almost felt like an out-of-body experience. It was so enlightening and empowering and liberating. And it was, you know, all of my inhibitions in that 20 minutes of her shaving my head were absolutely obliterated. Mm -hmm. I had... I was, I had nothing left. Like that was like, wow. Okay. You're check done gone, you know? Um, and I think what makes it hard, I think where people feel, oh, it's just hair. Oh, it's a, it, you know, it is, yes, it is just hair. 100%. It's growing back, you know, it's all, you know, um, but it's the way in which we're losing it. I think where people, and it's not that people are, they're trying to lighten the situation, right? They, everybody wants you to make, to feel better, right? We, I mean, you're, you're going through a horrific time. You're like, it's just hair. You're going to be fine. No, no, actually I'm not because see, I'm losing my hair because I'm sick. Mm -hmm. I'm losing my hair because I have cancer and this could in, potentially, and for a lot of people, unfortunately take my life. Mm -hmm. And so it is a big fucking deal that I'm losing my hair. Yeah. It's not because I'm choosing to shave my head and yeah, it's just hair. It's going to grow back. No, it's because I'm sick and I'm going to be even more sick. And I have to have poison put in my body. That's going to make me lose my hair. Like, no, it's absolutely not okay. But we can do those hard things, you know? And um, so I just remember sitting in the chair and, you know, my best friend's holding my hand and she's saying, you can do this, you can do this. And I'm sitting there sobbing and crying and just, you know, repeating, I can do hard things. I can do hard things. I can do hard things. Um, and, and then, yeah, when it was over, I was like, wow, okay, this is really cool. Like, oh my gosh, like I'm not held or bound by this thing anymore. I'm not held and bound by my body anymore because it's going to radically change. I'm not held and bound by a lot of things that um, society thinks we are. And you have to become more than that. You know, you have to become way more than that. And such a, I think cancer in general, but this symbolic representation of being sick really does shake your core and change your whole perspective on life and on parenting and and everything probably it does um it, it is the sick 
thickness part of it that is hard you know to wrap your brain around especially I would say even more so for myself and I, I can only speak for myself um, but and I've, I've read you know certain you know things from other cancer patients and survivors where you know I was a super healthy able person prior to this diagnosis mm-hmm. I could do all of the things I could be all of the things for my children I could you know run and hike and play and carry. I mean, that was one of me and my, my son's favorite things to do is give him piggyback rides and carry him around. Like he was still four, you know, like that was our thing. You know, that was our thing. Snuggle in bed. I'm like, you know, I'm the, I'm the typical attachment mom. I, I am a, you know, love language, feel touch, you know, I'm the physical touch person. And during treatment, I could not be that person. Um, because I was weak, I hurt, um, I felt sick, um, you know, all of the things. And so, you know, I had to learn to be something else, but you know, here's, here's the hardest part as a person who was totally able before, and also a person who has an, 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 an empathetic nature, um, I am, it was hard for me to, to say what I needed. It was hard for me to have to tell my children, no, I can't do that right now. I can't be that person for you right now. I might need you to be that person for me for just a little bit, you know, and ask them for that. It was really, really hard. Um, and they gave, I mean, 100%, like they were there and they were willing and, um, and they absolutely took that role on. Um, and, but that was, uh, that was another thing that's been really hard during this cancer journey is to ask for what I need, because it was a lot way more than what I've ever had to ask ever, (laughs) you know, um, I, you know, had, I was sick and couldn't even make food. Like what, what, you know, I can't even get up to make food. Like that's crazy to me, you know? Um, and again, like, I can't even tell you how, the blessing of me being able to be here with my brother and sister-in-law is literally only the hands of God brought me here. I mean, I cannot tell you how much grace um, I have been given by God to put me in this place and to give me these people that one, have an understanding of what I'm going through. Right. And two, could not only physically, but emotionally be there for me. Um, Because for me to have to ask someone to do these things for me was extraordinarily hard to say, I need you to make a meal for me. Like that is mind blowing to me. (laughs) Like I would have never in my life ever thought that I would have to ask people to make food for me. 
not just because I wanted to, or I was tired or I was having a mom moment or whatever. And you're just tired of being a mom and you're like exhausted, but like I physically couldn't make a meal, any meal. Even mac and cheeses. Yeah. Like getting up and making a bowl of cereal was not a thing. Getting up off of the couch was not a thing, you know? Um, so, um, I, and, and so after I shaved my head, um, and you know, so then I was like almost thrilling. We're just like, wow, look at this new mom, look at this new person. And I think the most precious thing my children said to me was Asher looked at me and all three of them said the same thing. And he goes, kind of look the same. You still look like my mom. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, that was what I needed to hear. You know, you still look like my mom. And cause I think we were, they were all very worried about like, well, what are you going to look like? And, 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 you know, they're so used to me seeing me a certain way. And, and he just was like, yeah, you still look like mom. And so we were like, cool, let's go. You know, we we're like, we've got this, you know, and we moved forward. Um, you know, he shaved his head. So we were twinsies for a while. Um, and, um, but there were lots of questions like, well, how long is it going to be like this? When will your hair grow back? And, um, you know, when I had the answer, I gave them the answer. If I didn't know the answer, I was very honest. I'm like, I'm not sure yet. Right. I don't know that answer right now, but I'm sure we will figure it out together, you know? And so I think through the whole process, it was never, um, if I didn't know, I told them I did not know. Mm -hmm. It's very honest. Um, If, uh, you know, I mean, there, there was the question, you know, well, you know, is this going to kill you? Are you going to die? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Because at the end of the day, like, you know, none of us know, right? Like, we don't know, <laughs> you know, and, and my kids, I think, are at an age where um, I think they can, they were old enough, right, that they can kind of handle that. If I, you know, and I explained it in a way that's like, well, you know, none of us really know. We, don't, <laughs> we, we generally don't know. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be here for a while. You know, this is, these are the these are the steps that we're taking, you know, these are what the scans are showing, you know, so we're in a good position to move forward and, you know, keep going with treatment. I said, so, you know, it looks great, but I don't know. Hmm. Oh, that's a lot to sit with though, as a mother. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the, I mean, hands down, if I, it, I prayed every day um, and it was that I just can't leave my kids, bottom line. I cannot with, with the situation that we're in and leaving them, you know, with their father and I like non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. That was my deal breaker with God. I cannot leave my kids. I don't care what, what I have to do or where you leave me or whatever that looks like I cannot leave my children ever, at least not for now, (laughs) you know, um, they need 
me here. And, and, it, and as crazy like that sounds sort of, I mean, now that I'm saying it, it sounds almost sort of narcissistic in a way, but it, but it truly is just like, absolutely no way. Uh-uh. <laughs> no, I, I don't think it sounds narcissistic at all. I think that is, as a mother, you know what your children need mm-hmm. and you know that they need you. Yeah. Um, I remember one day, um, after probably doing too much reading about my situation, which I highly recommend people don't do unless it's like positive information, but I had done too much reading, thinking it was positive reading, but then it turned out it, the next morning, I remember just going to sleep thinking, oh, okay, I read that information, right? And then I woke up the next morning, um, not being able to eat, not being able to breathe, having anxiety and panic attacks, um, barely being able to drive, um, but I had to go meet a client. Um, and were you still working during all this? Um, well, no. So I had been laid off from work um, oh. from my actual like job job. Um, I was a Pilates instructor for Lifetime Fitness. So of course they had closed down, right? Yeah. And funny enough, like when, when everything right prior to my diagnosis, prior to me knowing anything, like I was laid off from work. I was like, Oh my God, this is a miracle. Like I'm getting time off with my kids. This is so exciting. Like I get to like really just chill and relax and have fun with my babies. Like it was such a miracle. I was so excited mm-hmm. and boom, like this big, you know, bombshell. But anyway, so I remember, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, I was meeting a client that of mine that who still wanted to do training at her house. So um, this was a client who also was a dear friend of mine. And we had been um, really working a lot over the last year, like on my spirituality. And um, so I remember getting it. So on my drive there, I just was crying to God and praying and praying and praying. And um you know, what do I do? What do I do? Um, I, I, I absolutely am just, I was in a fit. Like it was, it was literally one of the, aside from the day I found out I had cancer, that was the second worst day in terms of fear and anxiety that I had. Um, and, um, I got to her house and she saw me and immediately was like, what is wrong? And I said, I have to go outside and I need to sit in the garden and I need to pray. And that was the message sent to me. Like I was like, you know, I, I need grounding was basically what God was telling me. You need to chill out and ground yourself. Like, (laughs) you know, and, um, and I did that. And, and I remember just laying, you know, um, laying there and feeling the earth against my back. And I remember, um, God saying, or me hearing the words, um, oh gosh, what was it? Um, oh, know that you are alive and I've got you. Oh, I have goosebumps. Yeah. Know that you are alive and I've got you. And from that moment forward, I kid you not, I have had zero fear, zero fear about this whole process. And that was before I started treatment. That was, um, uh, it was after I had told, told the children. Um, 
but yeah, I, um, I literally had from that moment on, I have, I'm like, I mean, yes, I had my moments of like, oh, well, you know, like, you know, I have scans coming up here at the, at the end of this month. And, and that always produces some sort of anxiety, but at the end of the day, like, if I don't do the scans, then we don't know, right? Like <laughs> it doesn't change the outcome at all, right? It only changed the, changes the, the, the information you have at your disposal. So, um, but I, I really, I rest on those words of, yeah, I'm alive, I'm here. Let's make the most of these moments. Let's make the most of this time. Um, and so, you know, this summer, that's, by golly, that's what we plan on doing, um, is just making the most of, of the time. Where are things at now for you medically? So right now, um, so we did four rounds of the really bad chemotherapy. If anybody's listening to this and knows someone that has been through treatment, um, I did, uh, four rounds of what they call the red devil. It literally looks like red Kool-Aid going into your veins. Oh, exciting the nurse comes out in like this biohazard suit like completely and I'm like okay so you're totally protected but you're putting that into my body oh my goodness that's, um, that's exciting <laughs> yeah. so I did four rounds of that plus one other chemotherapy um <clears throat> uh and beautifully um all of the tumors that were in my breast and in my lymph node gone okay so that and those are still holding strong last um, scan results I had four months ago, I still did not have any, um, they call it no evidence of disease in my breast tissue or my lymph node, which is amazing because that mitigated my need for a mastectomy and a lymph node dissection, which creates a whole nother category of issues. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and then, so once that treatment was done, my doctor here locally referred me down to um, the head um, breast research oncologist at UCSF. And um, she put me on a um, kind of like a long-term chemotherapy um, drug combo. Okay. Um, and so I do still have what they call bone mets where there is still um, prolific cancer in my bones. Um, actually, I shouldn't say in my bones. That's kind of the wrong term. It's actually on my bones because it's, it's on the outside of the bone. Not like it's, it's not like it's not in my bone marrow or anything like that where that's like leukemia and, oh. you know, a different type of cancer. Um, my cancer is the breast cancer that spread to the bone tissue. And so <clears throat> now I'm on a long-term uh, drug therapy and um, basically she says, these are her words, well, you'll do that until the cancer comes back. Well, okay. Yeah, I'm like, mm. so you know, I don't necessarily relate that information to the children because I don't feel like it's helpful. Right. You know, I don't think that it's serving them in any way. I don't feel like that is, you know, it doesn't really serve me, to be honest, right? Because um, 
you know, we just, we cross that bridge when we come to it. Um, and for right now, we've got a good grip on things. We have a nice handle on it. It's, you know, you think of it like um, a hose that's just been spewing water, right? And now we've put a tourniquet around it. So now it's, it's not even a trickle. Like we've just put a tourniquet around everything and we're holding tight. And that's where we're, that's where we aim to be. And, you know, honestly, like, um, uh, I've talked to many women and men even that had prostate cancer that spread to their bone, um, that have lived years and years with bone meds. And, um, so now it's kind of like treating it like a chronic condition, right? except that chronic condition and then grow and create more problems. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a delicate balance. I have to say, like, it's, um, it's challenging to learn how to integrate that into your world, right? Because it's an integration. It's a thing that you have to be like, okay, I have to learn how to live with this, you know, not just the physical ramifications that the medication creates, but just the emotional ramifications of, okay, how do I, how do I integrate that into my world and into my life? How have you been able to do that specifically with parenting? Um, you know, I, I, with parenting, I'm going to say that it has helped me to be even more patient with my children mm -hmm. to allow them the opportunity to have whatever emotion that they're having and allow that space for them and to just absorb that time with them. Right. Um, I think it's, it, you know, it's interesting because it's not like time wasn't finite before I was diagnosed, you know, it's, it was still finite then. And it just really exaggerates that, that emotion of it being finite. And so, um, it, it helps me to enjoy their presence and, and even the hard ones. I find myself laughing through more of the hard times. Like, you know, I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is hysterical. Like they're blowing up and having a total meltdown. And I'm like, ha ha, this is funny. You know? <laughs> because it's like, I'm here. I get to witness that. And I get to, I get to bring them through that. Like I'm still here and I still get to, I have that opportunity to help them see themselves through that a little bit differently. And so I think that it has granted me um, just a, a, a unique perspective, if you will, to how I handle situations with them. And, um, and it's been really cool. Like my daughter, my oldest daughter, you know, typical teenager texting and, you know, doing all the things with her friends. And she's like, yeah, I just told my friends that basically you kicked cancer's butt in like three months. And she's like, you're basically an icon, you know? <laughs> you know? So I think that it's been um, a good lesson for them to see that, you know, they, you know, it again, kind of like that modeling, right. That you were saying earlier, like, if I can show them, I can handle this and do it with grace and, and also show them that it's hard, but we still do those things. Um, and we can, we can overcome hard things, you know, all of us together as a, as a unit, you know, we can't, I couldn't have done it without them, you know, 
And, uh, you know, and I, I remember telling them a lot, you know, thank you for being here and thank you for understanding me and thank you for um, allowing me to just lay in bed today. Mm-hmm. You know? And thank you for understanding that today I can't be hugged because it hurts, mm-hmm. you know? What, what advice would you give to someone that is recently diagnosed? Um, first would be support people. You have to have support. So whoever that is, you've got to find your person and you've got to find your support person. Um, because if you're, you know, if you have, if you're blessed enough to have a partner, it's a lot on their shoulders, right? They're dealing with the, their own emotions, right? And how hard it is for them. And then for both of you to have to parent your kids together, it's really hard. So support, support, support. Someone other than your partner to support you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that maybe your partner can then support the children. Um, in the parenting part of it, um, I would say to have as much knowledge as possible is is the key. Information is is the key because fear will creep in, especially in children, right? I mean, you probably know this way more than I do. If the kids don't have the information, they're going to make up a story in their head. Mm-hmm. That's how the brain works, right? They're going to sit in bed and, and think that, well, you know, I mean, my kids have come up with all kinds of crazy scenarios. They've come to me and said silly things. I'm like, well, that's not actually how it works. And let me give you the information of how it does work. Right. So, you know, so I think the most, the more information that you have at your disposal, the better, you know, and so that they, they don't, you don't give your children the opportunity to fill in gaps on their own. You have filled in all of the gaps for them. So they don't get the opportunity to overthink and they get scared and fearful. Um, I think honesty is another big one, um, being honest about the situation, um, to the degree that you feel like your children, um, that that is age appropriate, I suppose. Um, and you would probably have more insight as to, you know, what that, what those parameters are. Um, you know, I had a good, really, I have a good relationship with my kids, so you know, it was, and I understand them. So it was easy for me to understand what, what I felt like they were capable of, mm-hmm. um, which actually they surprised me. They are capable of way more, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, they, they really were. Um, and then two is, um, you know, it's, it's okay for them to see hard things. I think that was one of the things that a lesson that I learned was we're so fearful of kids you know, dealing with the hard things in life. And, um, and although, you know, we say that phrase like kids are resilient and I, and, and they are, but that, but that doesn't mean that it, it, they come out unscathed, you know, like they still have emotions and their emotions still get damaged. And so I think, you know, kids are resilient is, is not the phrase I would choose to use, but I would say that they definitely can handle hard things and it's okay for them to handle hard things, but they, they need the support and the knowledge and the information to go along with that. Right. Yeah. I think that's great advice. 
Okay, we need to hear your mom tell. Okay, my mom failed. Well, this was a long time ago. Um, and, um, but I have, I am totally one of those moms that's like, you know, make the little bento box for the kids and this, that, and the other thing, yeah. right? And, um, and I've always enjoyed making lunches for my children. Anyway, so I had made some hard boiled eggs and um, was going to put it in um, my oldest and my middle daughter because they liked the hard boiled eggs. My youngest doesn't. So I put eggs in each of their lunches, blah, 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 pick them up from school. And oh my gosh, my middle daughter, she comes back and she's like, um, mom, that was not a hard boiled egg. That was a fresh egg. And when I opened it, it got all over my lunch and all over my clothes and I couldn't eat my lunch. And I was like, oh dear God, <laughs> oh, sorry that I told, I don't even know how I mixed the eggs up. But by golly, I did. And she got a fresh egg and my older daughter got the hard boiled egg. And yeah. Do they still tease you about that? Yes. Yeah. My middle daughter, she does not, Libby does not forget anything um, like that at all. She will definitely not let me live <laughs> down. Um, so yeah, that was, that was one of the funnier, I, I would say mom failed. That is funny. Yeah. I think we just get in our little routine of doing things and maybe we mix stuff up or absolutely because like you know after so many years of doing it it's like you know you're just doing it to do it and you're just throwing stuff together you know yeah <laughs> and yeah that's I was, probably didn't have my coffee yes coffee makes it easier to pack lunches for yeah. sure yeah well it has been an honor to have you on here and I I just feel blessed to have gotten to have this conversation with you and to hear your wisdom for this situation. And I know that it will help someone if they're in a similar situation. I hope so. I really do. Thank you so much for having me, my dear. It was a lot of fun. If you want more of Mindful as a Mother, you can find me on Instagram at Lynn's underscore Adams LCSW. Once again, at Linds, L-I-N-D-S underscore Adams, L-C-S-W.